0: Hello and welcome to Writing Perspectives, a podcast about writing and writers. My name is Steve Borley and I'm a writer. Writing Perspectives explores what being a writer is really all about. We look at what it takes to be a successful writer. And I get the great job of introducing you to interesting and inspiring people from whom we can all learn. And today I'm delighted to be speaking to Andrew Erky. Andrew was born and raised in Hull in the north of England. After gaining a degree in English literature, he worked as a university librarian, a civil servant and a health service data manager. But has spent the last 25 years as an administrator at Lancaster University. Andrew's always enjoyed literature and books. Throughout his career, he's had lots of ideas for books, but you know how it is, real life keeps getting in the way. Until, in 2014, Andrew began to write his first novel, The Alternative. Discovering he could indeed write prose fiction, he persevered, writing around the day job. Until, in 2016, he took a year's break from work to see the alternative through to a completed novel. And that's where we are today. Andrew has a manuscript and is trying to find ways to bring it to a broader readership. So, a very warm welcome to Writing Perspectives, Andrew.
1: Thank you, Steve. It's very good to talk.
0: Thank, great. It's, thanks for your time today. So, I think it's great to talk to you. You're an aspiring writer, and you've done that thing where you've climbed your first mountain, and you've got your novel, The Alternative Written. What was the spark that took you from your kind of long-term intention to actually into action?
1: Um, well, long-term intention is a, it's an interesting phrase in this context. I think there's a huge gap between having ideas, which I'd always had in all my adult life, certainly, um, and actually doing something about them. Um, and so over, let me see, over 30 years, I had ideas come and go without really pursuing them. I suppose the difference this time is that my wife, Diane, um, finally got probably quite sick of me saying, oh, this other brilliant idea, what do you think? Um, and she kind of pinned me down and said it was time to go and I gave that some thought and I still probably for several months after she'd said it didn't really do very much um, and then I sat down uh, one weekend when I was around actually and knocked out the first 500 words of, of what was going to become the alternative um, and I read it back and thought I can actually do this and I, I'd never really dared even try um, before, and I hadn't been sure that what I wouldn't write was part of cliches or nonsense, and it was only really getting that prompt from die and then experimenting just enough to understand that I had capacity, which kind of drove me forward
0: yeah, so you, you needed yeah that kind of al- almost an external push from the person closest to you. I guess yeah, get, yeah, get, so. get, get, getting fed up with you saying I could I could <laughs> write better than that. Yeah, I've I've been in a, a similar situation as well, where we we maybe watch okay. watch things on the television or go to the theatre and. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I say, I, I think I could write better than that. And sometimes my yeah. wife has said, you could probably write better than that. And it's, um, but, but it is that, that, that thing, the first time I, I've had a, I had a similar experience as well of when you start to write, um, and then you read it back and think, actually, that's not terrible. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's, that was the thing that held me back for quite a long time as well. Um, cause I, had probably similar ideas and for a similar length of time about, about writing until fairly recently I started to write. And as it turns out, I, I it seems I write plays, which is, which was a revelation. Yeah, um, but, but that, that whole thing of, of, um, that, yeah, I guess that, that not, not knowing whether, whether you're, your, your writing is good enough to, to make it, mm-hmm. make it worthwhile.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I suppose just, just following on from that as well. Um, I read constantly, I read a mixture of, of, of fiction and, and factual books, particularly histories, and I think I've become increasingly aware on those occasions when I thought the writing was poor, so I suppose I had a kind of negative template in my head, the kind of mistakes people make or sort of clunkiness of language, whatever, and being aware of that allowed me to start thinking about expression and about the power of expression and avoiding the kind of cliches or, or, or poor use of language you see quite often, even in published books.
0: Yeah, I've I've had that advice too. Actually, to read books that you don't enjoy from a from yeah. a um, yeah. from from a, 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 a prose and, and structure perspective, almost as long as you can understand why you don't enjoy them and can can find and 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 see where you know where where you would where you would have changed it as a writer, um, then it's actually a very useful thing to do. Um, quite handy when the invention of the Kindle, so that you can read these things on the train without um, uh, without drawing attention to yourself as well, which is is, is quite helpful yeah so that's how you started so then you you Mm. you know you were were then you you were then kind of sold on the idea of 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 writing what turned out to be the alternative um i'm interested in how you approach the actual task or if it's not too clinical a word the job of of writing um and and getting the words words down because you know it's it's a full-length novel so it's it's quite a commitment
1: yeah okay um uh the the idea the original idea was a sentence <laughs> that is, old man tells fairy tale that has second meaning, and how we come to that second meaning, and, and that was literally it and I, and I kind of, I don't even know why I knew it was German, because actually the person who inspired this story is Polish a, a, an old friend of my wife, called Marek Stokowski who is a novelist um, but anyway, so I had that idea and for a long time that was literally it, you could have summarised it in a sentence um, so, again I started to Draft. I treated myself I did. I did. This is probably quite unprofessional, but I decided that I had two or three characters in mind, and I did some sort of fairly free-form writing. So I picked incidents which had developed in my imagination to the point where I thought this will definitely be in the book. I may or may not never write. Um, And so the the second thing I wrote after the introduction was um, Lisa and Matthews who's a little boy, and. Um, Matthias' grandfather, Christoph, who's the protagonist, going to Naturkunde. That is the Natural History Museum in Berlin. And um, that was written totally out of context. I had no preceding plot. I had no uh, plot beyond that. And the characters formed themselves as I started to deliver a scene that had developed in my mind for a while. And so I suppose you might say I, I wasn't constructing characters and applying them to situations. I was looking at situations and seeing how characters might develop. And it was only then that I started to think, well, these people seem to live. I, I understand roughly who they are and what their motivations might be. And I can work backwards and forwards from that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, I had actually uh, been to the next with with Dai. We went to Berlin. Um, as a, a sort of very notional research trip, I and mean, it was one of the places that, that really struck me. Um, enough that I thought I've got powerful images here that if, if I can express these well on paper, then I know uh, that I've got the capacity to keep going with it. So, so that was the, the sort of instigation. Beyond that, I piled myself with research. Um, you know, most of the things you think you know about a historical period are probably wrong when you look at the detail. And so I read, memoirs, I read social histories of East Germany. I was surprised, but I was also delighted by the kind of things I found. So that, just to take an example, East Germany was not a brutal regime in the way you might understand Soviet Russia or maybe Poland. Violence wasn't the, the primary way of controlling the population. Um, what happened in East Germany was much more about observation and complicity and conformism, and that suited my ideas, the ideas of truth that can't quite be told or maybe only alluded to. You have to be very careful. Um, And as I read through the research, I I broke everything I wrote. All the notes I made were broken into sections. So there would be a section on politics, a section on society, a section on the domestic life lived by most people in that period. Um, And when I had the notes together, I started forming incidents based on the things I'd written down. So, you know, I might write down something as simple, as going to the shops, and the kind of shops that were available to, to ordinary people, and that might form a scene. Um, and the, the other key thing in terms of process was I learned to think of my protagonist's life in four sections. Um, and seeing as he's German, I, char- I characterised it as German. So Eugen, that is, you know, his youth. Uh, Aufbau, arrival in society. Ladat, which is suspicion, disillusion, and like, and then You know, not I don't want to give too much of the pot away, but things don't go well for him in the long term. And I um, sub-filed, if you like, I refiled all of the potential incidents in this guy's life according to what period is ha- happening in or what might happen in. Um, and then I wrote. And uh, in some occasions, I was just writing freeform. Well, typically, I was looking down the list of potential things and thinking, what comes next? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and so really, there were four sheets of paper. and um, and because I'm slightly OCD and I like the idea that I'm actually making progress steadily, I had a highlighter pen and when an instant was done with I I coloured it in and so I could slowly feel the novel you know, taking shape and, and starting to understand that there was more distance behind me than was yet to come, which was a very, very good thing to feel.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, one of my follow up questions might have been, So, are you a planner? So, I think the, <laughs> I think the answer to that is a- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a university like
1: administrator, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite, quite,
0: quite, I do. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's really interesting. And because one of the things so I've, I've had, obviously I, I've had the privilege of, of reading it um, yeah. is you combine three narrative strands. Um, yeah. Through through the book, there's the the um, um, three narrative strands, kind of modern day, um, reminiscent, and and then and then the, the fairy story, the the, yeah. the, the fable. Um, how how hard did you find that to manage those three different um, three different strands? And did you kind of write them separately and then interweave them, or did you write them uh, kind of uh, you know
1: almost chronologically
0: as they appear um, in the book?
1: They they were mostly written chronologically. Uh, in the early days, when I was drafting sections slightly randomly according to my taste, when I wasn't yet taking time off work and so I was just scribbling when I could, um, in those days I wrote rather more of a fairy tale than anything else. And, and there were two reasons for that. The first one is it didn't require any research, it just required <laughs> me to be able to conceptualise a story that could have two different meanings all the time, consistently. Each character, each incident could mean two different things. And so that, that was a creative challenge and one that's very enjoyable but there was no detail I had to concern about. Um, but the other reason I pursued that <clears throat> particularly early was because it's the um, cornerstone of the novel. And my greatest terror in writing alternative is that uh, the fairy tale, which is utterly crucial, would be a bit rubbish. And so I'd have a really quite a strong thought about life in East Germany. I'd have a strong thought about someone in the modern day trying to uncover truth, but at the core of that plot was something where any sensible individual would say, this is nonsense, why would anybody think of publishing a fairy tale of this quality? Um, so I had to convince myself that the thing that sat in the centre was good enough to support the other two strands. Um, and, that, and so that was written, that was certainly conceptualised and mostly written before most of the rest of the plot. Um, but really, when, it, when I, when I took time off work, and I, I it was a huge privilege and luxury, which I know that most people don't have the internet. Diane and I had a long talk, and she, again, she was the, she insisted I take a year out unpaid and actually write the book. Um, and when I, when on the 1st of February 2016, I sat down here in the kitchen thinking, here we go then, to better work. I already had maybe 18,000 words, it was almost a fifth of a novel, but written in no order at all, lots of fairy tale, A couple of instances in modern-day Berlin and a couple of incidents from Christoph's past life. Um, And at that point, I thought the only discipline here that will work for me is to take the novel chronologically, to start at the beginning and to end at the end. And if I don't do that, I will lose track of the threads because three timelines, one of which is essentially imaginary, are not going to work if you don't think clearly about progression from the reader's perspective, not from the writer's perspective. Um, and I suppose the, the other thing that concerned me was that the positioning of the fairy tale would be crucial. And my consolation was that that is the easiest of all of the elements of my book. It was the easiest to continually reposition mm-hmm. and to think about directing my reader or misdirecting my reader by occasions. And so probably since I wrote the first draft, it took me sort of five months to write the, the remaining 85,000 words. But when that was done, the one thing that's shifted consistently is elements of the tale, whereas the rest of the plot, modern and past, modern and past, have stayed absolutely in place.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's that's really really insightful and really interesting, Andrew. Thank you. That's okay. that's, that's that's good to know. So, and, and just kind of t- touching on that, you mentioned obviously, and, and I said in, in the intro that you, you, you took a year out yeah. to write. Um, in your experience of as a you know, of writing and as a writer, you know, did it make a big difference to, to give yourself that clear time? And, and were there kind of positives
1: and negatives of doing that? Uh, I can't think of a single negative. Um, uh, well, uh, the the fear <laughs> at the start, thinking you know, this is a year's wages. I'm just blowing, um, and also the, the pressure that if, if for no one other than I, you know, given the commitment she made, that I could mess this up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the positives clearly is that, it, you know, particularly writing something where I was forcing myself to write in a linear manner to deliver the material as the readers would experience, um, is that I had that time and space. Um, and I got into, like most writers, I got into a routine fairly quickly. Um, I would say I probably worked maybe three and a half, four days a week at most. I wasn't, you know, writing seven days a week. and And, and I don't, well, some people might have better stamina, but what I found is that. I'd set off at 8 in the morning, and by the time 3 in the afternoon had come, I was shot. You know, There was no practical way I could keep going. It was exhausting stuff. Um, but I was immensely productive within that context. Um, I think my slackest month was May of last year. I wrote maybe 10,000 words. In June, I wrote 20,000. Um, and you gain momentum. Um, in, in all kinds of ways you gain confidence and you gain insight into your own creative process um, and I think the, 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 I'm a writer I should give you a metaphor at least once today um, the, the, the thing that, I, that stayed with me more than anything else because beyond writing I was doing huge amounts of gardening the garden never looked so good um, <laughs> I was getting up in the mountains you know I have a sort of sideline I'm a landscape photographer and I sell photographs so there's that as well. There were things to keep me refreshed and inspired all those things uh, but the garden metaphors is almost up with me and, and you may well, you know, you fill a watering can and it's so full that when you pick it up your whole arm wobbles mm-hmm. and you look at the garden, and you think, there is no way my arm will have the strength to last the time it takes to enter this watering can. I'm just going to drop it. Uh, but of course, as you pour, the watering can gets lighter moment by moment and your arm actually, actually strengthens against what loads left. And that's how the writing went. In the first day, you know, I have 18,000 words and my guess is it's going to be a novel of 100,000 words. I thought, this is, this is infinite. I cannot imagine Mm -hmm. how I'll get through this. And then each day I was slightly further forward and the quantity of material left was slightly less and on and on it went. And and it seemed to um, inspire me to get quicker, steadily over time because of that strong sense of progress. Whereas if I got really blocked and stuck, I might have lost that, whereas in fact, I just have that steady sense. The can is getting lighter, the load is getting lighter, I am nearer and nearer to my goal. And did you find the, that act of writing, as
0: well as kind of the, the job of getting through it, but did you find the act of writing enjoyable and, and kind of did, it, did that side of it live up to your expectations?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. And again, I wasn't sure that it would, it, because it has to be treated as a job. And particularly, you know, I'd effectively set aside this year, so it had become uh, my employment, um, albeit self Um But the the capacity to, to to express yourself, that that ability to invent worlds and populate them, and start to give my potential readers insights into my ideas and who I am, and some background as well. as those elements of my friends and my family and people I work with all mixed together. In the book, and the capacity to do that is, is intensely inspiring. Um, and I, I, you could always tell when I've had a good day, because I would stumble in from work through the door, and I would practically grab a Bible, pells, and sit there and say, "I'm going to read back to you what I've written today, even before you have a cup of tea." I'm sorry, this is how it's going to be. Um, and and most days were like that. Most days, I was proud of what I'd done, and was desperate, desperate to share it immediately. Of course, there's, there's a side effect, and we've talked about some parts of the process already. There is no greater editing tool than reading loud. Yeah, you, you know, your prose. I know prose. in those books are simply read, but but like a play. I mean, you'll know this. You write plays. Until it's spoken, you can't understand whether it really works that well. And because my story is about a man telling stories, telling stories about his life directly and indirectly. Then it seemed particularly appropriate to read it and read it and to understand whether it went
0: well or not. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in in, in the role of of readers or or, um, or listeners, I guess. Um, yeah. In in the in the creative process, because it, I think it's one of those interesting um, kind of paradoxes about writing that, to a large extent, mm-hmm. it's an it's an individual pursuit. It's something that yeah. that, that one does. You know, I do myself, locked away in a room undisturbed. Um, yes, sure. as far as that's ever possible in the modern world um <laughs> but but then you know there is the role of of people then reading it or listening to it um and and their re- responses and, and reactions to it mm. um so apart from apart from reading kind of your in development work to die how else have you used readers in in your process of getting getting the alternative to where it is today
1: um well i have um I formed, really from the point where I started scratching the first words, I formed a small group of what I call my expert readers. Um, and I was reasonably choosy. Because, you know, um, I guess my book, if, if you can imagine it being published, then the kind of people who read it are likely to be fairly middle-aged, possibly middle-class, the kind of people who buy and, and consume books voraciously. Um, and probably people who like something... Slightly challenging, not desperately literary, but, but with, with a core of ideas that needs some sort of unpacking. So they can kind of reward themselves by thinking, ah, yeah, I now, I've read this, I understand the references to early parts of course, the book, or whatever. Um, so I got myself, um, well, amongst of the people, two or three friends, um, who live locally, who are all voracious readers, um, uh, die, of course, my wife, um, and then also an old friend of ours who is a philosophy lecturer down in Cambridge, because I wanted quite a different perspective. The one other person I chose, and I think this was really crucial, uh, was a lady called Hilary Thomas, who's a, a colleague of mine. Um, and Hilary loves the idea of fairy tale and parable and metaphor, and she um, she's a, a big fan of books which incorporate that in some way. Um, and, and so I thought, OK, she gives me perspective on the some of the detail I'm writing, even if the broader plot runs appeal to her so much. Um, and so, I, I, in the first instance, I think, before I started writing full-time, they'd all had the pack of the 18,000 words, and they were, I was getting assurance from them that these little bits would add up to something better if I could write to the same quality um, and deliver the box I'd roughly described to them. Thereafter, I wrote, I think, probably from the introduction through maybe 20,000 words and I gave them all that then to say okay does this still feel viable and in that classic way for writers who are operating independently and individually and, and haven't yet really consulted I got some pretty brutal feedback <laughs> on on the quantity of stuff I'd written which was lovely and charming but which advanced the plot or the characterization not a whit um and so I took the beginning and edited it substantially and learned my lesson about writing to the point rather than just writing for joy um and, and staying you yeah, staying on message basically so the um because I was pretty fast beyond that uh, what I delivered them to the next was the first draft and inevitably, you know, you've got five, six readers, you're going to get five or six different perspectives. But to my great joy, they all said essentially the same things. And the first thing they said was, we love it. It's great. It works just as we hoped. And the second thing they, they said was, there is a vast hole in your pot where Lisa and Matt's relationship should develop. And I knew that actually deep down. I, I was working hard to get something done quickly. But I knew that I'd skirted that because actually it was the hardest thing to write well. Um, but you sometimes need an external view to push you into the right direction. And that was one of those occasions they all said it. And the second draft, I think the second draft was about 8,000 words longer than the first, as so I went back to the plot and filled in those holes.
0: Yeah, that's, that's terrific. As you were talking, actually, you reminded me of, of, I don't know if you've ever read Stephen King's book on writing. Where where he talks about his his kind of um, yeah. first reader is his wife, who gives him it straight in terms of whether it's good or whether it's not.
1: <laughs> in um, a way, only a close friend can. Yeah, yes.
0: indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and he says, you know, and if from you know from from how he expresses it in that absolutely terrific, very very useful book, um, it it is you know it is a really crucial key point. I mean, he's already gone through a draft, and then he's gone through it, and I think he literally prints it out and takes a pencil to it and, and makes yeah. changes like that yeah. um but but that but again you, and I think you said something very interesting about you were very choosy about who you who you shared your work with um yeah, sure. because you, you you have to you have to trust that the people are going to give you feedback that's going to be useful yeah. um and um you know so so I think that's and I think again that's something that comes through from him in terms of getting people to read your work i mean you know th- there's there's kind of no point in doing the writing if you don't want people to to, to read it or perform it um, yeah. depending yeah, depending on what it is um, yeah. so therefore you need at some point to, to cross that bridge and get somebody to read it but it's there's nothing a, wrong with yeah. being choosy about and being careful about who your first yeah. readers are whilst yeah, you sure. still know and you're still consciously constructing your, your final piece of work i think that's that's that's, yeah. that's
1: just, very interesting just step in there steve mm. um the other thing i did and and this was a conscious choice in various ways to do to do with who i am I, i'm one of those people i always have um, a very particular view of what I'm capable of um, and what I'm good at and uh, I won't be told <laughs> once I've got a view on how to deliver something that's just how it is and what I'm doing and I was very I, I've never done a creative writing course or anything like that I was very suspicious of showing it to people who are genuine professionals in the field I don't mean, well, writers certainly but you know, create, creative writing tutors um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. One, obviously, I was scared, um, but another was that I was concerned that I had a very particular view of what I was doing and how to deliver it. And what I didn't want was people saying, actually, no, you should write to a formula. There is a way to write a book that gets published, a book that sells. You know, there are simply tactics you use and then you just get something then. But And so I didn't want to produce something that was completely within that template. Um, and so I was a bit cautious um, and, and just this is a tiny funny story so it, obviously I've been through several iterations of the book the first one was a rough draft the second one was a full draft with plot holes filled in the third one was the big edit for language that was one of the longest jobs that was two months worth to actually tone it up to be properly readable thereafter I've just um, sort of filled in little bits here and there and corrected facts and, and, the, and the like um, but it was only at draft seven that I, I finally got the courage to go to a creative writing. I'm, I'm lucky. I work at Lancaster University. We have a very good creative writing department. Um, I'm on good terms with real novelists, people like Joe Baker and Jen Ashworth, um, who have really substantial profiles, and also with George Green. Now George is a uh, lecturer in creative writing. He's twice published. He was my uh, best man at my wedding because it was actually going to introduce myself and Brian together. Um, but anyway, so I gave up to George and said, go, you know, do your worst, I'm ready for the professional view now. <laughs> and George, bless him, he said, he said, as he, all, and they say, he always does this when reading something by a genuine friend, he read it through his fingers for like three or four pages thinking, but what if it's awful? <laughs> and mercifully, he said after four pages he relaxed and in fact, he mostly didn't make notes because he read it because he enjoyed it as a novel, so I, I was greatly relieved. But I did not understand that that's a different level of seriousness from having your friends simply say, "Oh yeah, it's great. You're great. It's all fantastic."
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as, as, as you possibly know, I am I am doing a creative writing course, so I've, mm-hmm. I've had that thing where I've had to put quite a lot of my writing to to creative writing uh, tutors and professionals and, and and have, and have most definitely had that that fear, that felt that self same fear of um, what if somebody <laughs> who really knows what they're talking about doesn't think it's very good? Uh, yeah, that's that's great. So mo- moving away from the, the process of writing into yes. the more po- possibly um, less sexy end of things, which is the process of getting published. Um, <laughs> what, what what have you been? Uh, what, what kind of things have you been trying to do so far to get um, to get the alternative out there? And, and how have you found it? Well,
1: it, it's. And I suppose this is this is a podcast for aspiring writers, so I might as well. Um, I work sugarcoated, as they say. It is immensely hard, and it will make you feel terrible about yourself almost certainly. Um, so, uh, my understanding of, of the modern publishing game is that there are small independent publishers who might take your manuscript directly, um, but like a lot of areas of the economy these days, um, that risk has typically been deferred downwards. Um, and so nowadays, mostly if you intend to get published, then, you know, publishing in book then you pretty much need an agent to make that happen. Um, so I did seek advice. As I say, I know Jen Ashworth, um, who's just got her fourth book out at the moment. Um, and she gave me a few names that suggested themselves to her because of my style of writing, the kind of things I was dealing with. Um, I started doing research online and picking out other names as well. Um, and, I started the process of writing to agents in the back end of November. Um, I wrote to, I think, 11. um, And to date, I've had um, only three straight one-line emails rejecting me. I've had a personalized rejection uh, from a lady called Ariella Plano, who works with United Agents. And that, I understand, to give you some sense of how hard these are, that is in itself a major achievement to actually get them to write to you personally <laughs> rather <laughs> than to send a very generic email. Um, otherwise, I've had a lot of silences and, and for a few of the companies, I know that means no, um, but for some of the others who may yet respond, it just means you're hanging, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, now that I'm fully confident in the material I have, um, I'm going to start writing again um, and on this occasion, I'm going to substantially recast the introductory letter um, which was a bit sort of hesitant previously. And, and you simply have to conquer your own um, uh, sense of self and say, you're brilliant, your ideas are really strong, say this as succinctly as, 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 as possible and re- really lay it the line why they should be interested in you. And that's really hard to mm-hmm. beat yourself up in that way, but it's something I'm working on at the moment and I'm getting, again, advice from other people in the field. Um, my particular problem is my lack of, or, oh, no, my particular problem. One of my problems is my lack of connections as well. So, uh, a lot of agents will look and think, okay, where did they do their creative writing MA? Oh, he hasn't done one. Um, and so, you, you know, there is a checklist, most most elements of which I kind of fail. And I do fear, therefore, um, that, that sometimes I don't really make like it because I'm literally an unknown. You know, there, there's no kind of connection between me and the publishing industry or the creative writing industry uh, at all. Um, but I'm confident in myself for what I've written is publishable and I know that because 12 people are selling it and those people are people who read and read and read um and so for now at least I need to face up to I suppose the statistics that it will take a lot of rejections to have the hope of getting somebody accept me um and there's an awful lot of agents out there so I'm going to keep keep, uh, aiming for them and see what happens yeah how how, um I mean I I think some you, you were kind of
0: Talking around yeah. something there, Andrew, which I think is quite interesting—that difference between your work as a as a piece of art, as a creative endeavour, mm. r- you know—is the um, irresistible force meeting the immovable object of a publishing yeah. industry industry with a capital I, which is about how do we how do we turn a, turn a profit on these things? And yes, yeah, uh, and I think it strikes me that that is possibly very very common for writers, particularly particularly new writers, that you yeah. you kind yeah. of your your the activity you do and the thing that you invest your passion in is a creative endeavor very yeah. very personal and then you have to turn it into something which is um a little bit more um you, you know broken down in a business plan for somebody to to get behind in order to to, yeah. to to publish it and get a return on investment and i suppose that's the that's the the gap that many writers need to bridge have you considered kind of bridging that by by doing it yourself and self publishing
1: um, not yet. It's something that I would certainly think of. I, I'm comfortable enough with the idea of leading myself in that way because as I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a landscape photographer um, and I have had exhibitions where I've simply bullied my way um, into you know, cafes and exhibition halls to get my stuff out there and I have at least developed the confidence to walk straight into card shops. I do a lot of cards and just say, I'm great, you need to stop this stuff. So um, I'm not uncomfortable in principle with the idea of, of being independent. Um, I suppose what, what I'm wary of is that idea of saying that I'm self-publishing and that is an admission of failure, if you like, that, that you know, nobody wants me, so I'm just kind of, push, You know, from, for the sake of my own ego, I'm just putting it out there anyway. Um, but of course, I, I do understand that, that that might be a signal of the seriousness of my intent. It might actually be a benefit. Um, to me so i'm i'm currently thinking that one around i would you know i'm kind of purist, and i like that idea of going through all the four lines and getting an agent getting published, and and that's still my number one aim um but i will have to consider i suspect other techniques as well
0: yeah yeah no i i think that i think a lot again i've spoken to a number of people who have that not sure about self-publishing and that you know is it seen as a as a sign of I, I guess that difference is people see self-publishing as absolutely akin to vanity publishing.
1: Yeah. yeah. It yeah. doesn't
0: matter how rubbish it is, I can publish it. But but equally, yeah. there's also the other thing that where where I've, I've spoken to my, some other writers who've self-published and then moved on to work with a publisher. Because yeah. a self-published work proves that there's an audience, proves that yes. people will buy it, sure. proves that sure. people will download it. and And that in itself is actually quite a powerful message. Yeah. for publishers to see so yes it's a it's an interesting decision for for many aspiring writers i would say andrew yeah so we're coming to the end of the, the time we have today um mm-hmm. as a as a final wrap-up thinking about your experiences as as writing and managing your time and, and, and everything end to end what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of sitting down and starting to write their first novel
1: um the i suppose two or three things I'm, i would say to so the first one is to um, understand the level of the undertaking um, i tried to do sort of back of an envelope mathematics on this and i think the alternative probably represents maybe 500 hours of writing and that was the first draft um every re-edit of a novel is essentially two months of your time and of course again that was me effectively as a full-time writer um, so if you transmute that into the idea of writing evenings or weekends, then it's several years work for most people, uh, unless they really have lots of undisturbed time in their lives. Um, the consolation is that it only feels infinite. <laughs> I've proved this to myself, um, that when you're setting it out, it feels such a big task that you can't imagine it ending. Um, but it does. You just have to have the all to keep chipping away. The other side of things, and this inevitably reflects my own style and my own personality, is that preparation, from my perspective, is everything. Um, I always felt in control of my material. I never really sat down. Well, okay, a couple of instances I did, but basically I never really sat down thinking, I'm just going to write and see what happens. I was writing, if you like, to a script, to a set of directions. I had a sense of development, a lot of characters. Um, on those couple of occasions when I wasn't sure, um, I sat down for the day and I wrote nonsense and then I chucked it away the next day. You know, I just wasted my time. And It was probably valuable in terms of working ideas, out, but it wasn't valuable in terms of genuine productivity. Um, so my own perspective would be that you need a good sense of the plan of your book. You need to understand where your characters will end up, as well as where that's coming from, um, and you need a good sense of what comes next. You know, if you can finish your days writing and think the next thing that happens is it is the next whatever, um, then you should maintain the momentum to actually finish the project.
0: That's great, thank you. I mean, that, that's great. So, so a bit of realism about the, the level of, <laughs> of the undertaking and, and um, the amount of time and, and the time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. um and and this, this you know, and and what your 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 experience is is that preparation set you up to succeed and and, you do, and allowed yes. you to allowed you to go on. That's terrific, Andrew. Well, th- thank you very much for your time today. That it's easy. been really, really interesting to talk to you. At, at, you know, at this stage of of your writing career, and and mm. you know, you've you've as I say, you climbed a huge mountain in getting the alternative written, and and it's been brilliant to hear you talk through that process, both as a creative process and as a practical process. And, um, and it's been great to hear how your, your, your approach to getting published and what you might do next and, and how you've been going about that. Terrific. So thank you very much, um, Andrew. That, that is all we have time for today, but I really do appreciate your time and, and all your insights today.
1: Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure to talk.
0: Thank you. So wasn't that interesting to hear about Andrew's experiences? he's taken that massive first step and actually got something written and completed. And I think that's definitely something to be celebrated and admired. Um, Many people have the intention, but not not nearly as many people follow through. And Andrew's done it. So how about you? Is it a play, a novel, poetry or something else that's knocking on the inside of your brain and asking to come out? You know, get going. I hope the words are flowing for you today and that you feel ready to write. If not, perhaps you need a prompt to get going. So what was the last thing that you lost? How did that feel, that moment of recognition, that temporary panic? Why not put one of your characters in that situation or have them describe that to somebody else? What will they do? How will they react? What might it tell you about them? What might you discover about that character if you try that? Have a go, even if it's just to get the pen or the keyboard moving. As Andrew said, even if it's just rubbish and you throw it away, it it breaks through the, the I'm not writing barrier. See how you get on. Maybe it won't lead to anything in particular, but you know the act of writing does get you going. It always does. And what have you got to lose? So please come and visit um, the Writing Perspectives website, which is writing-perspectives.com. Leave me your comments, let me know what you think, and also share what you know and your experiences. I'll be posting full show notes for this episode so you can find out a bit more about Andrew. But that's all from me this episode. Thank you very much for listening to Writing Perspectives. I'm Steve Orley, and until next time, goodbye.